This is your state of the state for pheasants forever and quail forever in Iowa today. We're uh, coming at you from T-Box, right? Did I have that pronounced correctly, Jared? T-Box? T-Box, yes. T-Box. An, an old stomping ground uh, for me several years ago. And <laughs> <laughs> we will get into that, I assure you. <laughs> we are in uh, a beautiful northeastern Iowa, very specifically we're in downtown Decorah recording today. We were joined by a longtime Pheasants Forever volunteer and the one of the top guys in the country um, for Pheasants Forever, Tom Fuller, um, which we will introduce into the conversation. We came down, oh, Jared and I left the Twin Cities I don't even know if it was yesterday we left so early. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty early. <laughs> you probably got up at 4 a.m. this morning. Yeah, but I, I, I slept all the way down, so basically. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> so so we, we drove down to northeast Iowa, and we met up with uh, Terry Hainfield, who uh, is a member of the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. But most importantly, on a day like today, he is a longtime two decade long maybe three decade long we'll find out uh, i started when i was 10 years old yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, volunteer of the winnesheek do i have that pronounced correctly winnesheek county winnesheek yes winnesheek county chapter of pheasants forever welcome to on the wing podcast terry tom and my trusty sidekick <laughs> jared wickland Good welcome guys Glad thank you be here you bet well, let's start with uh, with Mr. Hainfield here, Terry. Um, how long have you been a volunteer with Pheasants Forever? Gosh, 1986. Um, we formed the chapter when Jim Willie came to Decorah. I, I'll, it's like it's etched in my mind when we met at the high school here with a small group of guys there and said, "Hey, we want to do a Pheasants Forever chapter in this county," and uh, that's been awesome. 1986. Where were you in 86, Jared? Uh, well, I was conceived in 85, but born in 86. So that's that's where I was. I was uh, just just getting my just getting my legs, stretching my legs. Up. You know, it, it, that's uh, relates back to an earlier conversation when we were hunting uh, on IHAP. Okay, so IHAP stands for Iowa Habitat Access Program, correct? Yes. Which is a um, Oh, it's built off the 2014 Farm Bill that takes private land here in Iowa and opens it up to public hunting. And that accounts for, I think we determined 20,000 acres here in the state, right, Tom? Yeah, just north of 20,000. And uh, there's greater demand out there. So another plug for a new Farm Bill here soon and greater funding for uh, those access programs. So we, uh, as we were leaving the field with, with a rooster heavy in our bag, uh, we for some reason we're talking about birth dates, <laughs> <laughs> and Jared brought up uh, 1986. It was a, it was a good year. <laughs> so so this chapter started in '86, and you were right there at inception point. What what do you rem- remember about um, what inspired that group to want to become a chapter of Pheasants Forever? What what was going on at the time that led to, hey, this this is something that we and I want to get involved with. Well, uh, as as you mentioned, I'm a wildlife biologist with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. But today I get the day off to be able to do <laughs> something like this. And uh, so I have my Pheasants Forever hat on with that. But that's part of uh, where we go back to on this is that 
1983 is when I came to this region here, and that was our lowest numbers of pheasants in Iowa for our counts that we've done um, since we've ever been taking counts. It was a, a low ebb. 1985 Farm Bill comes into play, and the door was opened to be able to put habitat back on the ground for multiple mm -hmm. reasons, but initially for those pheasants and for the wildlife associated. Uh, chapters were already forming in other places in the Midwest uh, and in Iowa, and that was the opportunity to get Jim Woolley up here and say, hey, we want in on this. You, so 1986, so Pheasants Forever was born in 82, first chapter started in 83. I think the first Iowa chapter is 85. Does that ring a bell? So this had to have been one of the handful first chapters in the state, right? I can't remember if it was 84 and the, the four counties that I think went together there to form that first yeah, chapter. Yeah, the Iowa Pioneer. Yep. Yeah. yep, over by Mitchell, Cerro Gordo, kind yep. of that area. Yep. And yep. The, what's your, what's Floyd. the Winnesheek's uh, chapter number? Um, like 139. Okay, yeah. so yeah, it would have been uh, within the... Very early on. Very early on, yeah. And this is, this is a unique part of the state. You know, for folks that haven't spent a ton of time in Iowa, their perspective is what you might expect on Field of Dreams, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? For sure. Cornfield after cornfield after cornfield. And, oh, hey, there's Kevin Costner in uh, <laughs> the cornfield, right? Yeah. And flat is a pool table. That's not the case here. This, no. is, uh, this is something special. Now it's called the Driftless Region. What does that mean? That's the correctly. The, the glaciers uh, were not here in this part of there to, to be able to uh, come across the landscape in the driftless area. So it's allowed, you know, these valleys, uh, forested areas, trout streams, um, rolling topography, you know, to be here. And it's really very unique. Very cool. Where did the glaciers go? Did they melt before they got here? Did they slide <laughs> off to, to the, do you know? I think they ran out of steam. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they but all melted in the in Minnesota with the land of 10,000 lakes. It's got to be part of it, right? Well, there you go. Thank was, goodness they stopped because yeah. this is a really, really oh, it's unique gorgeous. area. It's gorgeous. <clears throat> and you, t you think, um, you know, this entire driftless region uh, exists in southern or southeastern Minnesota, northeastern Iowa. And then it extends right to um, southern Wisconsin and uh, northern Illinois, and that's yes. all part of that same area. And, and you automatically think trout streams and big bucks. Yeah, yeah. But one of our best pheasants forever chapters for three decades is right here in the middle of the driftless region. Yeah. So it leads me to believe that uh, there's some birds here. Well, it doesn't lead me to believe because I witnessed them about an hour ago. <laughs> So uh, is, is there a pretty strong desire to, to chase roosters here in the Driftless area of Iowa? It's uh, kind of all relative, you know, when you look across the Midwest. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but so we don't have the peak numbers that you can have out in the open country uh, when weather conditions and habitat is provided in there. You can really build a lot of birds in those open type country. But here we, it seems like we always persist some roofs, roosters and hens, you know, there to survive that we can always have populations, mm -hmm. you know, here with some winter cover of even our forested areas, even though there are predators, uh, we have those uh, populations here. So talk a little bit about, or tell me about the history that goes from, you start the chapter in 86, there's the farm bill, you saw the opportunity to create habitat, 
And what's happened between 1986 and 2018 in, in northeastern Iowa? Obviously, we have these ups and downs, you know, they're depending on weather and that CRP and the habitat, you know, that's either there or not there. Um, but the thing that's greatest about this is is the opportunity for private landowners to, to enroll. And then they got to be Pheasants Forever board members. Mm-hmm. They're not board members, but they got to be members in the mm-hmm. county coming to our banquet. And it just snowballed and snowballed that they knew we were doing good things and providing uh, not only the habitat and the water quality, but we were helping them as far as uh, cost sharing with putting that prairie grasses out onto there and the prairie seedings rather than cool season mm. type mixes onto there. So it, it we were trying to maximize uh, pheasant production and other wildlife besides doing the water quality work with that good prairie mixtures. Yeah, and water quality, I think uh, we were, Jared and I were talking on the way down you know, oh, look at that trout stream. Ooh, look at that trout stream. You know, water quality is pretty darn critical when you have so many trout streams um, along this area. And and you talked about, I think when you started here, there were six um, trout streams with wildly or wild sustainable trout, right? Not just stocked. And now you're up to... It's like uh, 40. That's 41. So that factoid I use very often is 1980, five or six trout streams had natural reproduction of brown trout. And now we're up to like 40. And that just didn't happen on its own. Pheasants Forever, uh, the prairie seedings, the CRP provided that buffers on there to filter that water uh, to get that natural production, natural reproduction happening rather than silting in, hmm. you know, those eggs of those trout. And so it's a... Uh, it's it's not just pheasants we're doing. Yeah, you know, we, we've we've talked about that in our magazine and on the flush to a certain extent, uh, you know, in um, southeastern Minnesota, that pheasant habitat, re, re, you know, related to trout streams. We've talked about it in Lake Erie, you know, in, in Ohio, how the water quality benefits of CRP in um, northern Ohio benefits walleye populations, right, in Lake Erie. And here it is, another example where CRP is not just about birds. It's about brown trout. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, with the dip in CRP numbers, you know, where we were at uh, 2007, 2008, were kind of peak years. What's happened since then in this part of the state? Did CRP numbers drop in this part of the state? Because it, I'm led to believe, based on the fact that you're now up to 40 sustainable trout streams, that maybe you've kept a pretty good base of CRP here in the Northeast. We have, although we've lost those CRP acres and they were going out, and there's extra effort you know, through... Uh, uh, NRCS, Natural Resources Conservation Service, the Department of Natural Resources, and uh, the Soil and Water Conservation Districts to work with those landowners, especially in those critical areas, to make sure we're trying to uh, enroll CRP in those places that keep good water quality uh, and protect our marginal grounds. Hmm. I would also say, Bob, you know, part of the success of keeping a lot of grass up, upside uh, in this county is just the effort of the chapter. I mean, the chapter, the outreach that they provide uh, to producers all across the county is is really second to none. And um, just nesting cover, uh, this county's put in almost 24,000 acres since their inception. And so wow. that 
that's incredible, but just the uh, the goodwill that they've built with their membership, those producers, those farmers out there in the landscape has probably kept a lot of grass up there when economically at times they might have pulled it out. So it's uh, the, the chapter is a champion of, of uh, doing great things, and their membership has responded. And then we've also had up to, you know, 20 board members. So they fuel on each other, their their partnership, their friendships, um, their efforts of making, pulling off a great banquet. I say, mm-hmm. you, you make the great money in the banquets, and I'll find ways to spend it on yeah. Habitat, being the Habitat chairman. <laughs> I was doing, a, I was just doing some quick math there. That's almost 40, 40, 40 square miles <laughs> of grasslands. I mean, that's just, that's, that's a lot of grass. And I, I've seen it over the years, too. You know, we've talked talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, grew up in Duluth, but I, I actually first got my pheasant hunting and started here uh, in Decor in Winnesheet County when I was a student at Luther College. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons for me uh, why I came here was, I, you know, I followed my brother here. Um, I got recruited to play sports as well. But the big thing for me was to have uh, a place that I could go that had uh, great outdoor heritage. And I would submit to our listeners and everybody at this table that, the, the natural resources, the ecosystem as a whole here in, in Northeast Iowa is, is just, it's absolutely unique. Um, from everything from the upland birds, and I saw some Hungarian partridge back in the day when I was still here, uh, to turkeys, to world-class whitetail populations. I mean, there's just some absolute monsters around here. <laughs> um, to, you know, the, the trout populations, we were just talking before this, where, you know, um, see our all those different things are a byproduct of CRP and putting grass on the landscape. And, you know, we just kind of reminisced a little bit. We've had some guys fishing this area and just north of the border this year that are catching 20, 23 to 25 inch brown trout. And those are absolute slobs of a fish. So <laughs> it's uh it's a very unique landscape and it's something, it's something near and dear to my heart. And, uh, you know, for anybody that's looking for, um, just a great outdoor adventure uh, of, a, of a different proportion. Northeast Iowa really is a, a gem in that regard. And we won't have like hundreds of pheasants coming out of our cover. You know, we just can't nope. maximize, you know, pheasants, you know, in this area. But it, just like you say, it's the mix of mm-hmm. the experience there of, of the terrain, the, the prairie habitats, um, the turkeys, the deer, and the other things there that come yep. out of it. You may it. not have hundreds, but I witnessed at least two dozen bird flush. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I just was pointed in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Minus uh, minus one now. <laughs> yeah, minus one. Mr. Fuller, uh, Mr. Fuller had a nice shot today, um, and we did see two pretty sizable bucks too. In in a matter yeah. of you know a two hour walk, mm-hmm. one was a nice basket eight, and the other one looked. I didn't count points, but it was, it was much fairly broader. large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, tell, uh, Mr. Fuller, we haven't introduced you yet fully. Uh, you got a new title recently. Yeah. I, I'm so, I don't remember the new title now. Uh, I've been lobbying for deputy in there, deputy dog of some sort. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, I guess I'm currently the fir- field service director okay. uh, for the organization, and uh, what that allows me to do is work with our talented team of, re- of regional reps, and we have 25 that work for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, they're the ones that work directly with the chapters, like Winnesheek. They help them out with their fundraising. They help uh, give them projects to spend those hard-earned dollars on. And, um, yeah, all the way from down in Florida up to Montana and all across pheasant country. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a great new role. It's exciting and uh, just part of a really, really cool team. 
And you've been with the organization 12 years? Yeah, yeah, a little over 12. This is uh, my fourth hat I've been wearing. So, yeah, um, sixth generation Iowan. And so I got started uh, off this organization as a Sixth generation? Did you get a badge or something? Yeah, we were here before. uh, (laughs) That's the deputy. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, and you're and you're from the kind of the Cedar Rapids. Yeah, area. Or, no, you're in Iowa City, aren't you? No, well, I was born and raised in a little town called Springville, which okay. is just outside of Cedar Rapids, and uh, yeah, I was blessed just to be born into the pheasant hunting and quail hunting culture of the state. And uh, my dad was an avid dog trainer and trialer, and just uh, I grew up knowing nothing but pheasants and quail in Iowa. Hmm. And um, yeah, anyway, I just uh, I've always pursued them, always had an interest, and I was lucky enough to find a profession that allowed me to continue that. So started off as a regional rep uh, with the organization here in eastern Iowa. Uh, did a short stint as a state coordinator, um, help uh, work on partnerships like with the Department of Natural Resources and our county conservation boards. Um, moved on to uh, our North Region director, and, and our organization, the North Region, is a five-state area with uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and the Dakotas, and so got to work with a talented group there, and now this new role, and yeah, trying to figure it out as I go, but uh, excited to be here. And um, kind of an amateur dog breeder? Yeah, right? yeah, we've... Uh, do that on the side a little bit, and it, you, you know, every time I see you, there's a different uh, different dog pops out of your kennel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, my, like I said, I grew up in it, we uh, started off with English pointers uh, mm-hmm. on on horseback and then uh my dad got rounder and i got a little bit older to i uh, <laughs> wanted to do a lot more hunting and so we moved to Brittany's. and uh no my wife and i continued the Brittany kennel uh still kind of to this day we're kind of phased out but mm-hmm. yeah today i was actually hunting with an english cocker so i uh have no prejudice <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, uh, and i and i thank tom there for uh my Brittany sage is uh from from his his litter there and stuff there so that's been exciting. And a beautiful, beautiful Brittany. Yeah, um, love her to death. Yeah, my goodness. You, you know, tremendous in the field today. Had a couple of beautiful points. Like my dog, only pointed hens today. But, uh, <laughs> boy, liver and white and gorgeous dog. Yep. And um, and Tom was running kind of a, a black and gray um, English cocker. And then we had Jared's um, English pointer, Jackson, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, kind of the state dog of Iowa, the short hair. Is that safe to say? <laughs> it's pretty safe. I think uh, it, it's hard, hard to Jared. go pheasant hunting if you don't see a short hair or, or a lab in the back of a pickup. So. And my short hairs come from, uh, from Iowa, actually. Another uh, Pheasants Forever chapter volunteer, Steve Reese. Yes, sir. Down in uh, Central City, good friend. Good friend of yours, too. Yeah, Tom. yeah. Steve's a great guy and just another example of just a wonderful volunteer. You know, it's, uh, Iowa has, you know, just north of 100 chapters, 99 counties. And so we got a few counties with an extra chapter or two. But it's uh, it's our foundation. And um, guys like Terry and Steve Reese, and um, they're just the backbone of who we are. Yeah. And um, it's just been a privilege to be able to serve them. So you've been volunteering for an awful long time. What's uh, in, in a... I'm looking at Terry and talking to Terry as I switch the conversation a little bit. Um, what's what's the most satisfaction that you get out of being a volunteer? I think probably the 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 natural resources results from doing hard work, putting habitat out there, and the people appreciating it. Hmm. When we'd take youth out for their first pheasant to kill on their uh, 
that was just awesome that these these youngsters would have the opportunity to go out and hunt in some tremendous cover and have dog work and for them to understand hunting the mm-hmm. heritage of hunting and having success and carrying that on to um buying licenses and sticking with you know hunting uh in their in their family yeah what's what's the frustrating part part of being a volunteer oh gosh i probably would have to say um the loss of opportunities you know we have you know we had the 1985 farm bill and crp and things were there and then sometimes they're not sometimes the politics and some of the other things that get played there is we want all the tools we can out there to do good things for our natural resources because that's quality of life for Iowa hmm. and the Midwest and the rest of the United States is that uh, people don't only, they don't live just for a job, but they live after five o'clock. Hmm. They live for the weekends and vacations and to be able to explore Iowa, the natural resources and enjoy that. And that's, that's what's rewarding about that. And the frustration is not being able to offer and maximize uh, quality of life for people. Have you seen changes in the complexion of the volunteers here in Winnesheek County, whether it's demographic or the types of people or the reasons people are getting involved with the chapter, or is it uh, you know consistent same group of folks that are the diehards? There are some diehards, but mm-hmm. it's always revolving and bringing in new young members to mm-hmm. fill in those who have served a, a great purpose and are off on doing other things. But I can't say enough about the board members in Winnesheet County there that especially I'm going to mention Todd Duncan, our president right now, has been president for a long time. Not a very avid pheasant hunter himself, hmm. but he also works for Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS, and he knows what it means for the landscape. He knows what it means for other wildlife and has just devoted himself there to this chapter and to lead at these other members. And they fuel off each other, their friendships, like I say there, and to pull off a great banquet and to have people enjoy that banquet. And, man, they're, they're waiting for that announcement of when that banquet's going to be to come, you know, to help uh, fund this for the county. When is your banquet? Is it a springtime banquet? It is, and it's the first weekend in April okay. every year. The first Saturday in April is what we've kind of set that date on there. And uh, 450 to 475 people. No kidding. Yeah. Bob, you got to come down. Their banquet is uh, just south of town here and on a skating rink. And on a skating s- rink? On a skating rink. So, do, do people bring their skates? No, we usually give them a table and a chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's, yeah. the biggest fa- it's the biggest facility in the county. Yeah, we had to, the smaller facility when we first started there. We had to, we grew out of that. And so we had to go to a larger facility and, uh, and it fosters a lot of good fundraising. So as you know, Jared talked about this being such a unique place for an outdoors person, you know, guy or gal wanting to fish trout streams, chase monster bucks, hunt pheasants. Do you see your banquet filling with people that obviously you're going to have locals, but are there out of towners that understand the unique model of pheasants forever where that chapter, your chapter, you know, benefits from the dollars raised and is putting that, um, those funds to work for habitat here in the community. So do 
you know, those out-of-towners come back for the banquet? Sure, they do. And uh, they recognize whether it's pollinator habitat and butterflies and the, mm-hmm. the bike trail around here and the things that they see associated with CRP and pheasant habitat. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, amenities that people can, can enjoy when they're here. Yeah, that's neat. I thought you were going to ask me if I brought any dates to the roller rink, and yes, I have, and they were spectacular. Well, I was going to head to you next, because, uh, so tell us about going to college in Decorah. Uh, you know, and, and let's keep it clean, Jared. Yeah, let's I will. Let's focus will. on the wildlife. You know, Luther, Luther College uh, is a, is a pri- private Lutheran college. It's about 2,500 people, and um, as far as outdoor opportunities go and we've mentioned this and been talking with throughout the beginning of this podcast already i i really don't think there's a more unique place to chase roosters to um you know call in a turkey and chase some big bucks um it's something that uh it was one of the reasons why i came to school here um you know a lot of people that listen to this podcast now uh have have a lot of that wildlife background or maybe interested in that wildlife background mm-hmm. uh, they've got a great uh biology slash natural resources program here where they bring people out and um you know they they burn their prairies off with the biology classes and and do a lot of cool stuff like that so you know if you if you've got a interest in the outdoors uh in biology that type of thing you want to go to a school that encompasses all that and gives you just some excellent opportunities to spend time outside. Um, L- Luther College is Luther College is the place that that I would go, and you know it. Not until I was off campus, my I think it was junior and senior year, um, and I was able to you know keep my keep my firearms at, at at my home locked up. But you know as a as a freshman and sophomore, I had to work with the local police department and make sure somebody was around so I could uh, go check out my Mossberg 500 <laughs> that I first purchased here. And, and like I said, I mean, this is where I got uh, started pheasant hunting. I didn't have a dog. Uh, I had a couple couple good friends um, that were interested in hunting as well, and we were we were our own dogs and went out and pushed. You know, one place we talked about today is, is the Coon Creek Access. I think it's a couple thousand acres. Um, and that's got everything from pheasants to used to have Hungarian partridge to it's a rough grouse management area, uh, huge deer, lots of turkeys. It's just incredibly unique and it's got a trout stream running through the bottom of it. So it's a great, it's a great place if you're interested in the outdoors and a good education. Was it, um, part of the culture where a lot of your classmates were hunters and and anglers and it was there, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the guys and, um, Tom and I were talking before the podcast started. He sent a lot, he used to be a football coach and sent a lot of football players up here. Um, and I knew a lot of football players that were just totally psyched up for, uh, you know, for the opener, opener shotgun season. Maybe they didn't pheasant up a, a hunt up in this particular region. Maybe, most of it because a lot of guys grew up on farms and had mm-hmm. CRP down in their own areas where they'd go home and hunt for Thanksgiving or whatever. But we had a, a core group of us that would deer hunt up here. I've shot my two biggest bucks I've ever taken uh, in, in Iowa here. And it's nice because when you go to school, um, all you got to do is show your student ID and you're, you're, a, resident, you're a resident hunter wow. um, no matter where you, where you hail from. Okay. So it's pretty cool. You know, the, the, the other aspect of why I asked you to get up at 4 a.m. and drive down to uh, Decorah for – for this particular podcast is uh, prior to coming to headquarters, you served as regional rep for um, mm-hmm. part of the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. T- tell us a little bit about that role. Yeah, no problem. So um, Tom touched on it a little bit, I think, but uh, as a regional rep, we're basically 
uh, a cust- customer service representative helping chapters out with whatever they need. Um, you know, working at working at the banquets, answering questions, helping them order stuff to fundraise for banquets. Um, my role, it didn't. Ch- I like to say it changed a little bit in that my last two years here, I was extremely focused on land acquisition. So we'd find a particular property um, that the DNR or our partners at Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation um, were looking at purchasing. Um, And, you know, a lot of times they they would come to me as a regional rep and say, hey, how can we get this done? We need 50 grand for uh, a match on a grant. Um, Can Pheasants Forever help us out? And I think the really unique thing about Pheasants Forever in general is that we can move really fast uh, when it comes to land acquisitions. So um, we had a property down in Clark County uh, that was uh, over 200 acres of CRP, uh, not too far from the casino off I-35, if anybody's familiar with that. Um, And you know, the County Conservation Board and the DNR were working on it together and they came to me and I went to the home chapter to get their buy-in first. And then you go to the surrounding, um, you know, maybe two, two, three tiers of counties. And it's really easy to raise 50 grand in a short amount of time when you have a great project. Um, and you know that it's going to, it's going to be put into, to, it's going to be a public land acquisition forever. Hmm. So, um, you know, the last thing I'll say about my job as a regional rep is that, I, you know, I, I think everybody, everybody tends to, uh, put in a good light, you know, the, the people that they work with and, and the things that they do, but I, I'm just here to tell you the people in Iowa, and we've talked about some of the volunteers, you talked about Todd Duncan uh, on your board and Terry, obviously you as well, but, um, there are just some really, uh, you know, original, just homegrown people in this state that are, that really care about natural resources and getting pheasant hunting back because, you know, we always talk about the glory days. Mm-hmm. Are we there yet? Maybe not, um, but, you know, we talked, uh, I, I told Terry, I, I was down in western Iowa last week, um, one of our other staffers and I shot a limit of roosters on the way down, we got our six, and on Saturday we shot a 12-man limit of roosters, which I've never been a part of that in Iowa for a long time. So, Were you on public or private ground? Uh, we were on private ground, all enrolled on CRP, and hmm. all of it was ground that our chapters helped cost share and enroll for private landowners. So that just goes to show you that I, I think there's a – um, there's a nice, nice mix of, of partnerships in this state, whether it's with private landowners, NRCS, FSA, Iowa DNR, uh, Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation. We just have a lot of partners to get things done uh, in the state of Iowa, and it's it's been a uh, it's been a real pleasure for me to be a part of that for the four or five years that I was down here. And one of the things that we hear quite frequently is one reason why people don't hunt anymore is that they don't have a place to hunt. So those land acquisitions are extremely important. Uh, to be able to provide the right type of habitat and uh, an opportunity for people to, to to be able to hunt, you know, on there. So they're they're really important in those chapters, putting that matching money up there for land acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So now we we have went around the horn introducing everybody. We've got Terry, we've got Tom, we've got Jared, we've got Team Iowa here for this podcast. So we are going to dive into kind of the, the the state of the state for Iowa. Um, lots of innovative programs happening, both on private and on public land. And uh, as as we've mentioned, um, you know we've got over 100 chapters in the state. We've got 20,000 members in the state. Uh, lots of land acquisition projects happening. So, with that, let's let's talk private lands first, um, Tom. Um, CRP, state of CRP, in in the state of Iowa. How uh, you know? Because it it all starts 
with CRP. We, we, we certainly love public land, but CRP is the bread and butter for what creates the habitat needed for pheasants in Iowa. How are we doing? Uh, not enough. Yeah. Yeah, not enough. I mean, it's, uh, there's a great demand out there. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of our focus the last uh, year or so has been on a, a strong uh, farm bill. Yeah. And uh, we're still not there. Um, but uh, CRP uh, is critical for the state and in our wildlife populations. Uh, you know, less than 2% of this state is, is held in public ownership. And so if we're ever going to make a positive impact on wildlife, pheasants in particular, we have to have strong private land programs, and CRP has been the best tool in our box, and um, we just don't have enough acres, and the demand is there. Um, and so I guess it's, uh, that's one of the other great things that our chapters do, just go, circling back to them again, is their support of our activities, um, both in Des Moines, but as well as in D.C., because anyone that's a bird hunter in Iowa knows um, it hinges on the amount of habitat and the amount of acres that we have in the conservation reserve program. So is there, uh, are, are there particular practices that there's high demand for in Iowa? You know, is there, Oh, CP 33, the, the Bob white buffers or upland bird buffers. Is sure. that, is that used up in the state of Iowa or safe acres? Yeah. Yeah. We, we just don't have a whole lot to work with right now. We don't have a whole lot of continuous acres that are open for enrollment, but, uh, the CP 38, which is called safe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that is a state specific, uh, program that's funded through the farm bill. And, um, we had, uh, a couple versions of that, but we had a pheasant safe that was extremely popular. Um, and we have not had any acres for that program for a couple of years now, but the demand is, uh, out of the world, out of this world. And, um, the type of habitat that that puts into the ground is very similar to this, uh, IHAP uh, property that we hunted this morning. And, um, it's just uh, very diverse mixtures of forbs and different, uh, grasses, warm season and cool season grasses, different structures. And it just provides optimal habitat for pheasants and quail and for all seasons of the year. And throwing in that food plot, you know, in there with that yeah. then too. You bet. So I'll apologize to listeners for dropping a couple of acronyms on yeah. there without yeah. uh, explaining. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, hopefully if you've listened to this podcast before, you you recognize CRP, the Conservation Reserve Program. It's the federal farm program that um, pays landowners to enroll their environmentally sensitive acres into habitat. And it has been the number one program in the entire country for creating habitat, protecting water quality, and um, keeping soil on the ground rather than erosion, right? So CRP is one acronym I dropped on you. CP33 is Conservation Practice 33. It's um, It was created in 2004 where it's a, a program within CRP that's specifically um, targets edges of fields to create habitat for bobwhite quail, and it has benefits for pheasants. And the other one, the other acronym I dropped on you in a matter of moments was SAFE, and that's State Acres for Wildlife Enhancement. Yep. Um, so it, it's one of those weird ones. There is the word wildlife in there, but it's not part of the acronym. No. <laughs> but it is sort of a, um, a choose-your-own-adventure program for each state. So in the state of Georgia, 
they can do, create a practice around bobwhite quail. In the state of Iowa, they're like, well, let's do a practice around pollinators or, in this case, pheasants. Um, I think there's some s- safe programs in Wyoming built around antelope. Mm-hmm. Um, They've actually got a quail program here as well. Yep. So, it, so that's that's a really beneficial, high demand program that with targeted results. So, um, I kind of devolved into the acronym yeah. soup. So we've got a little bit of an explanation for the, as to what I was referring to. But you know, safe. Uh, you mentioned has a there's a pheasant application and a quail application. One thing that we're running into as an organization in most states is all of those acres that have been allocated in the previous farm bill are used up. Yeah. They're enrolled by private landowners, um, and there's more demand than there are acres, and they have very specific, tangible um, results that benefit particular wildlife species, water quality, soil. Landowners want to enroll, and they can't get in. Yeah, multiple benefits. And uh, the other practice, conservation practice 42 (laughs) in Iowa, I believe, Todd Duncan would probably know this, but I believe Iowa leads the country, and that's a a pollinator practice. Mm -hmm. I think it's over over 200,000 acres right now. It's significant. And, uh, yeah, it's of great interest if anyone that likes to eat, Yep. Uh, they should probably uh, (laughs) want more CP42 out there. But we know, uh, I think – within this organization, uh, the multiple benefits that it has for pheasants and quail. It's yeah. the optimal brew-rearing habitat. And, um, yeah, it's just, an, it's just another example of a, a conservation practice that landowners in this state want, and we can't offer it to mm-hmm. them right now. What's, you, what's been ex- exciting, if I can jump in sure. here, is, is that when we talk about pollinator, when we talk about the different practices, is that um, there's a mixture of habitat that's needed by pheasants and other wildlife and we're, we're always tweaking different things there to provide, you know, the brood rearing, the nesting, the winter cover, and all those sorts of things there. And it's a, a combination of all of those that work. You know, we'll have some completely uh, pure monoculture switchgrass there for that winter cover mm-hmm. there to the brood rearing of those pollinators. And uh, as a biologist, it's just intriguing there to kind of fit that puzzle together as we, as we put out habitat on the landscape. That, that, that's a great point. And I, and I noticed that when we were walking through that um, IHAP, IHAP. <laughs> I knew, I knew at some point I was going to say IHOP. <laughs> I love pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, through the IHAP program, you know, a beautiful blue stem, and then you would see um, flower um, stems, right? It, it, I'm assuming there was some coneflower in there. There was some sunflower in there. Maybe compass plant, did I catch possibly? Could, sure, could have been, you bet. The diversity of grasses and forbs, you know, in different sizes, right? Some of them would poke me in the eye, which would only hit uh, Tom's belly button. Um, but Tom was getting poked in the eye by stuff that was over my head. Um, and then there was, you know, some grasses that are ankle length. Those little blue stem and everything there. Uh, it, it we, was, we let pheasants pick out what they need, you yeah. know, there for nesting or brood rearing. It, well, it was, it was, if you had a drone to fly over that piece of property, it, you know, a pheasant's eye view, it had everything, absolutely everything necessary, right? There was a little food plot. There was tremendous nesting cover. There was brood rearing cover with the flowers for, for where those chicks could move through. There was winter cover with the tree belts. 
Did you design that particular piece of property? I'd like to take credit for it, but I did not. <laughs> yeah. And I'll give a shout out to Brian Sauer, one of the DNR uh, wildlife technicians that does private lands program, designing that up there and yeah. helping implement that. And he did a f- fantastic job there. It, getting that it is. There. It's marvelous. Yeah. You know, and I'm not a biologist, but it was so perfect that a non-biologist, a marketing guy could look at yeah. it and say, oh, that's how this is supposed <laughs> to look, right? Exactly. Um, so let's bridge from, from private land, which, you know, has, is really built around CRP. Um, and you, you threw out a stat earlier, 2% of Iowa is in public ownership. And I believe by a percentage basis, basis, that's the 49th state in the country. It's 49th lowest amount of public land in the country. I think, uh, that's staggering. I think we got, uh. We got Rhode Island up against the roads. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, our, our land is very valuable. I mean, it's this is the breadbasket. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, um, it's, it's always going to be, you know, a predominantly private land state. Um, mm-hmm. You know, two things that I know as a, as a native Iowan and um, is that, and Jared hinted out about just the quality of people that we have. If you come to the state and you spend some time and you build some relationships, you can knock on doors and get access. Mm-hmm. Can you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, you know, definitely. I think there, there, we have big white tails. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's great interest there. But if you're a bird hunter and um, you invest time into building relationships, um, predominantly most of the people that travel to the state every year to chase birds, they're doing a lot of it on private land just by knocking on doors. Hmm. Um, meeting people at the grocery store, meeting folks at the local restaurants. And um, it's just an incredible culture. And I think it is fairly unique in pheasant country. Um, the other thing that we've done to address uh, public access on private lands is through this Iowa's Habitat Access Program, over 20,000 acres. Mm-hmm. We, were, we saw the great benefit of it today. Um, the habitat quality of these walk-in acres is phenomenal. Yep. Um, our department has done a, a phenomenal job. Uh, the Pheasants Forever biologists also assist in signups, and so they've been instrumental. And we're working with the department right now in um, a pilot area in southwest Iowa where we're working with producers and both kind of a, a precision ag component as well as a rural development. Hmm. And uh, what we're doing essentially is a pilot program. We're trying to roll 1,500 acres into this access program. We're just shy of 1,000 just in the phase one, so we're knocking on the door. But... Uh, our uh, precision ag specialist will identify uh, a farmer and we will run their operation through their inputs, their financials, and we will target areas that they're consistently losing money in. Hmm. And uh, what we're finding across the state of Iowa is every, every field, there's 10 to 15% of that field, they're losing money on annually. Even in Iowa. Even in Iowa. Even in Iowa. And um, as corn and soybean prices have dropped, input prices have not. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, turning the buck's hard right now. But it, uh, even through good years, there's still areas that just don't produce. And so we identify those areas. We get them enrolled into a conservation program or an alternative use that may be more wildlife friendly, like cover crop production. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, through that service that we're providing those producers in return we're asking that they turn that land over to public access Hmm. so almost a thousand acres down and just contributing to uh the general outdoor recreation in the state and the rural development in small town southwest iowa i think that really speaks to 
you know, one of the one of the phrases that I used to use when I was giving presentations here and I was asked by, you know, Rotary clubs and different places to come in and, and talk about what Pheasants Forever does. And specifically related to our biologist program, we've got farm bill biologists over, I think we've got like 200 now, maybe more. It's a bunch. Yeah. Um, throughout the country that mm -hmm. are available uh, to offer free technical assistance to help landowners create a conservation program for what, or a conservation plan for whatever it is they, they'd like to plan for, if that's pheasants or quail or turkeys or deer, so on and so forth. But what I always used to like to tell people is that, you know, whether it's Iowa or Minnesota or any of these states that have awesome farm ground, we can have our cake and eat it too. And that speaks to that 10 to 15% of a property that is consistently losing money. We can have our cake and eat it too. We can be the most agriculturally productive state here in Iowa, uh, in the country, in the world. Yet we can still have all the pheasants and trout and great water quality and those big old bucks that get me all <laughs> fired up. Um, and it's, 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 it's available to us um, by just stepping back a little bit and taking a, taking a bird's eye view uh, of specific properties. So Yeah, I mean, you're, you're sitting in one of the most beautiful parts of the state mm -hmm. and uh, up here in Decorah. And uh, there's a reason why people want to live here. The community's thriving. And uh, it's because of outdoor recreation. Yeah. You know, everyone needs a good paying job. They want a good quality of life. They want good schools. Decorah has all that. But there's something to do at night and on the weekends. And um, we look at some other smaller communities across the state, and our population is not hmm. staying there. And um, you Yeah, know, I've, I've read some studies about people, you know, leaving Iowa because there's no recreation left. For yeah, them. yeah. I mean, we have a serious brain drain, and a lot of that is just because of uh, – recreational opportunities mm. and um you know it driving through much of the state uh southern iowa in particular i mean many of these thriving communities uh as i was growing up are now kind of relegated to uh, a convenience store and a bar mm. and um as far as economic development it, it's lacking if we can inter introduce some significant outdoor recreation mm. we're seeing a tremendous uptick and that's what we're doing in Southwest Iowa. We're really excited about the progress there. And I think this might be the perfect time to jump in with another acronym of I will for mm -hmm. Iowa, Iowa Water and Land Legacy. Uh, this was a vote by the public in Iowa uh, to raise the sales tax or to create the trust fund right. uh, that if the next time when there's a three-eighths of a percent sales tax increase or larger, the first three-eighths of a percent would go into natural resources and outdoor recreation. Gosh, we're talking quality of life. We're talking reducing flooding in Iowa and all of the county taxes that have to go to for, for those repairs. And we're talking wildlife habitat and we're talking recreation. People want to stay in Iowa if they have things to do there along with their job here. And that was passed in 2010? Yes, sir. Right? Yep, yes. 2010. And so just to reiterate, it, it was passed that it set up the fund when a tax increase is it a sales tax increase? Yes. Yep. Is it when a sales tax increase was put in place by the legislature. And 63% and and of the public supported that. That was incredible. 63% of Iowans voted yes. to create the fund in 2010, said, and yes, do this. And since that time, the Iowa legislature has not increased the sales tax at all. Not yet, but the the what the way I like to put this is it's not if it's when yeah it yeah. will happen someday and i mark my time as a natural resources career person there of um 
when I got my first job, 1985 farm bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I will being passed as far as developing the trust fund. And I'm marking this time here. <laughs> yeah. One of these days here is when that will be implemented and I can... It's significant, those it's significant dollars, right? Is it 150? Well, now recent projections would get that number much closer to 200 million. I think uh, for sure north of $180 million is what it would mean annually to the state for Oof. natural resource protection and outdoor recreation. And um, yeah, for the last eight years, we've been screaming and yelling and crying, tax us, tax us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just sure. three-eighths of a penny. That's all we need. And uh, what that could do to our landscape and to permanently protect um, fragile areas, to provide solutions to our uh, nutrient reduction strategies, mm-hmm. um, to what it can do to uh, rural development and that outdoor recreation. I mean, you can continue to stack the elements. Um, and uh, it's something that Pheasants Forever has been behind uh, in the campaigning to get it on the ballot. And we remain at the table today. And, uh, yeah, our volunteers are screaming for it. So the non-Iowans listening are like, yeah. um, all right, let me get this straight. The 63% of Iowans said, yes, we want this to happen, tax us, and create the fund. And that was, what do we say, eight years ago, and that has not been created the fund is created but the tax has not gone up what what's the hesitation from the legislature to increase the taxes well i think just in general you know most uh just the fear out of political fallout yeah, over yeah absolutely taxes. yeah i mean no one no one wants to pay more mm-hmm. you know and um especially if you want to get reelected, you know um but uh you know it is an investment in iowa it's an investment in uh my grandchildren, mm-hmm. um, I don't have any yet, but my, my grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. And being a sixth-generation Iowan with a, a daughter that turns 22 today and will be graduating from the University of Iowa in May, I really fear that she's not going to call Iowa home. Um, I love Iowa. I love this state, and I, I love what it's provided me and my family. But I don't know if it's going to provide for my grandchildren and the opportunities that Iowa's Water and Land Legacy will provide is multi-generational. Once it's in, it's in. It's constitutionally protected, and that was the beauty. There is no sunset on this. Hmm. We've seen the incredible benefits in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to sunset. You guys are going to have to vote that back in. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the incredible benefit to our neighbors to the south of Missouri. There's no permanency there either. Uh, what folks did right here in Iowa was they made it constitutional. And um, once we get that three-eighths of a penny increase, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be there. And, and if I recall correctly, it, it, there was significant momentum last year, and it was about um, kind of a trade-off, right, where it was um, reduced tax on X to allow this fund to get created by m- moving money around. Is, is my memory correct there? Yeah, what, what there were some attempts early on was uh, just a major tax reform, and um, that was uh, – all scales yeah. of, of income there. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it didn't make it through that initial package. Um, I think there is uh, some appetite this year to, to look at continued tax reform um, where we will need to offset some of those with new revenues. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing in our state, uh, like most states, you know, we have a great need for education funding. Um, we're always ch- with challenges there and mental health and in particular just general water quality. You know, Iowa... Um, does have a nutrient 
uh, issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, the folks down the Gulf of Mexico with the hypoxia zone recognize that. And we've made incredible strides um, in the last, really, last five years of addressing those. But the reality is it's going to take a lot of money. Okay. It's going to take a lot of funding. And it's going to have to be on private lands. And I will... Uh, will provide a lot of those solutions. And it's our estimates that 60% of the funding that would go through, I will, to the Natural Resource and Outdoor Recreation Trust Fund will address our nutrient reduction strategy. Mm. And that's through voluntary practices like CRP programs, CREP programs, um, additional wetland filter strips. Mm. Uh, there are multiple benefits that are great for birds, great for water quality. And also, I'll jump in, it's great for landowners, farmers in particular, to have this option of taking some of those marginal acres out there and, um, you know, that they may be losing money on. Here's, there's a, here's a voluntary program that's available to them uh, to be able to sign up and to be able to better put the pencil to things on their land. So, so if we paint a picture of, you know, a lot of people kind of, tune out when they hear oh taxes, taxes. fun right I probably should have start, started with what what iowa would, would look like 10 years after having this fund in place right and it would be you know more green spaces right more more places that are public wmas um more buffer strips on the landscape protecting the water quality. You know, there's such a big controversy in the Des Moines area. Yet, and if we want to uh, really address take bringing business to Iowa, if you want to bring business people to Iowa to have factories and companies here, they need to have something to do mm -hmm. after five o'clock in the weekends. And to this is economic development for Iowa to be able to encourage uh, businesses that want to set up shop in Iowa. So if folks in Iowa that are behind this, what can they do to get this over the finish line? Because uh, it, it really is that it's in the red zone, right? It, we're, we're, you know, to use a football analogy, we're within the 20-yard line here. Yeah, yeah. How I do mean, we punch it through? Uh, we need your voice. And, you know, that's probably one of the greatest things that anyone can give right now is their voice. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a Pheasants Forever volunteer or member or just the general public that maybe supports other organizations is we need your voice. We need you to call your legislators and tell them this is important to me and this is important to my children and my grandchildren. You, we want you to support this. That's what we're missing. We're missing the voice. Okay. I will. Iowa's Waterland Legacy funds the uh, Natural Resource and Outdoor Recreational Trust Fund. And uh, there is a website. I think it's iwill.org. Maybe something like if you if you Google it or I hop it, you, I can, hop it. you can uh, <laughs> you can get there. Um, all right. So we've we've talked um, uh, private lands. We've we've been all around the map with public lands, yeah. but let's dive in. You know, we, we've talked about um, kind of the taking private lands and opening them up to public access. The the I hop. <laughs> I have. Uh, we, it, we, it, and we've talked about, um, you know, some of those programs, but let's talk land acquisition. Um, Pheasants Forever has been very active in being a public land creator in the state of Iowa. They have. And, um, you know, Jared can maybe back me up here, but uh, there's few acquisitions that happen in the state that Pheasants Forever doesn't play some role in. Absolutely. It's a main driver of most of our chapters in this state. Um and the, and the neat thing is uh, 
we have chapters uh, that think beyond their county borders. Mm -hmm. uh, Jared shared an example of um, the Clark County property and working without a periphery of those. Um, great support for public lands, even if it doesn't fall within uh, your township. But I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that Pheasants Forever has contributed in this state to over 93,000 acres of public land protection. Wow. And uh, that's significant. And it's a significant portion of um, the amount of public land in our state. Yeah, especially when you consider there's 2%, right? Yeah. yeah only 2%. Yeah. And then, you know, almost 100,000 has been added through the work of volunteers, um, you know, banquet at a time, one banquet at a time, creating 93,000 new um, acres of public land. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I just sit and try to measure it by the number of general raffle tickets. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. You know, when you think about it, since, you know, the first Iowa chapter was probably what we determined 85-ish, you know, and, and banquet after banquet selling raffle tickets leading to 93,000 acres now where... Six-generation Iowans can go take their grandkids, not grandkids yet. Not yet. Um, out on, on, a, on a bird hunt. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And um, the, the neat thing about Iowa that it's a little bit unique is our strong partnership with our county conservation boards. And so every state or every county, all 99 counties have one of these entities. And so they are also public land holders. And so whether we're working through the Department of Natural Resources or a local county conservation board, um, we're doing anywhere between 20 and 30 land acquisitions a year. Hmm. So it, it's, a, it's a main driver of why a lot of folks support the organization. It's a main driver. A lot of people volunteer. Is there? I, th go I think this is a great time to mention that <clears throat> we'll be announcing here that there's a new land acquisition just west of Decorah that Pheasants Forever has committed the next couple of years to uh, some land acquisition dollars to. And what's exciting about this, it will be uh, an addition to a Department of Natural Resources wildlife management area, public land area. And the family wanted it to be public. <laughs> they had done great conservation on their land by farming their land and taking care of their forests and their pasture areas. And they came to us and said, we want this to be public land. And those are the hardest ones ever to, to turn down when you mm -hmm. don't have the funds for it. And as Tom made the point, uh, other chapters outside of Winnesheet County are considering adding money to this to make this thing happen. And that, that's exciting that this family can be rest assured through their estate there that there'll be continued conservation applied to this land rather than they could have sold it for a lot more for housing development on sure. here, but they wanted it to go to conservation. So whether it's a chapter in Iowa or maybe it's a chapter in Detroit, Michigan that wants to be a part of a land acquisition, how do they help make this happen with willing landowners that want to make a piece of property public? They get in touch with you? Oh, sure. Any, any of those large areas of a lot of money can come to Winnish County. Me too, me too. But there is, there is appetite out there from yeah. chapters all over the country that want to be a part of creating something permanent. And, you know, in my example of Detroit, kind of hard to create, a, you know, a WMA outside of Detroit. But, you know, to be able to contribute dollars to a place as beautiful as this, to know that it'll be here permanently and that you can take your grandkids to Decorah, chase up a rooster, chase up a 
a monster buck. <laughs> That's right. right? <laughs> There's opportunity there to be involved in land acquisitions, you know, outside of your border. There's some chapters that are absolutely tremendous with raising those funds, but like you say, may not have the opportunity in their particular county mm-hmm. or area, you know, to be able to do that. And that's what's great about this, looking over at the whole Pheasants Forever national uh, uh, game plan there is that people help out, chapters help out other chapters. Yeah, that is a, you know, it's the beauty of the model that the chapters control the dollars, right? But it's also the beauty that they can choose their own adventure. It's like, you know, I want to be a part of that. We should be a part of that. Yeah, we've had some interest from chapters, uh, I think, one of the previous podcasts, you talked about some of the pheasant coalitions we got going on in South right. Dakota. Um, I think the Rooster Road Trip enjoyed some of the fruits of those efforts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and all joking aside, that was some of the, the best bird numbers and highest quality habitat that they experienced in, in South Dakota. And it was that combination of private landowners and then the community jumping in and saying, here's an extra couple of bucks, open it up to public hunting. And they get the bigger picture, right? It's not just the habitat, not just the water quality, but it's also bringing in that economic driver of more hunters coming to town, spending money at the hotels and gas stations, restaurants, and that sense of community makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think that there's an increasing appetite for um, uh, contributions to those from outside of the South Dakota lines. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of speaks to your point about the Detroit chapter potentially or any <laughs> chapter that, uh, you know, uh, wants to um, do things that are really meaningful, even though they may not fall within their specific geography. Right. One thing I want to mention to it, you know, on the, on the side of land acquisition, because I get the question a lot as, as public relations manager about, you know, where are you guys purchasing ground? And, and we're working on a, a public lands map right now that's going to be on our website um, that's going to show basically all the areas that we've contributed to, which is going to be really cool. It's going to, you know, list the area itself, uh, have a map of it, that type of thing. Uh, But I just want to point out too, that, you know, every land acquisition, um, every land acquisition is different and they aren't, they aren't all, not all acquisitions are the same as far as how, how good they can be. And we, we just don't, we just don't go around and when somebody says, Hey, I want to sell you property. All right, we're going to buy it. It's, it's not like that. Um, it's very strategic. We're buying properties that have a low, uh, corn suitability rating, um, you know, unproductive, unproductive ground that's productive for wildlife, but maybe not from an agriculture standpoint. So, um, we, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't pay over that, um, that average average cost of what that's going to be uh just as a few standards so we're mm-hmm. we're purchasing property out there that's that's good for wildlife maybe not so good for uh maybe not so good for agriculture growing a crop on um but it uh the byproduct is more pheasants and more clean water and those are good things terrific point and i think the property you mentioned in decora is actually an addition onto an existing piece of public ground which as we know is you know at the top of the list for why you want to buy it right make it something even bigger yeah they score higher as far as um the priority list than for uh adding land you know there in the in the land acquisition base mm-hmm. so yes that that just uh, the maintenance costs are less than and uh you can do you can maximize wildlife production there in a in a block right Com- complexes yep complexes. We, we talk about that a lot and how 
you know, when, when we get an opportunity to, to buy specific, you know, 40 acres here and 100 acres there, and we have big enough cattail slough in the middle of it that can win, winter every pheasant in that particular township. When you have all the pieces of the puzzle together, all you need is a little bit of good weather and some management, which Pheasants Forever, DNR, all of our partners provide too, and we can really make things happen in the state of Iowa and elsewhere when Mother Nature cooperates. You know, are there hot spots to where land acquisition or particular chapters are are, are having more success in the state of Iowa where you see, yeah, we got this going on here, we got that going on there that you can point to? Um, anything that jumps to mind? I, I wouldn't say there isn't. Uh, specifically any hot spots we do have chapters that where that's a much higher priority and they're mm. constantly on the lookout um i think uh we got some incredible chapters um in uh polk county our state's uh capital des moines is there and uh those those uh two chapters there one of their primary drivers is public land and um it seems like there's always uh contributions going around polk county um, to support those efforts, but um, we got some really neat acquisitions happening down in southern Iowa right now. Um, we're still in the process of closing the door on that, but uh, we've done a tremendous job up in the northwest part of the state, the part of the state where we traditionally have had our highest pheasant numbers, and um, up in the Okaboji area, mm -hmm. and uh, we have the opportunity there to um, uh, do a lot of wetland acquisition, um, and um, so we've done a tremendous amount of uh, acquisition in that corner of the state but um yeah they don't come around every day and um and that's where it's really been instrumental of chapters helping chapters tom uh tom mentioned um you know some of those chapters around the des moines area which i used to be a part of got a lot of great friends down there but with the winter magazine coming out now i write a lot of the pheasant pheasant country section um take a take a look if if you're uh if you're reading through there in the pheasant country section there's a great article on how those chapters uh, have helped out Chichaqua Bottoms. It's one of the largest wildlife management areas in the state, just outside of Des Moines. Uh, it's kind of a unique story in how they've is that the winter issue acquired land. Yep, the winter issue that just just is mailing right now. As Tom was mentioning, Northwest Iowa, and he'll add on there, you know, North Central Iowa there too. Yep. Uh, as the old guy of the group here, <laughs> I can give you a little history <laughs> lesson here. And uh, back in 1983, one of my first interviews uh, with the Department of Natural Resources, they asked the question. Um, Terry, what would you do for pheasants in north central Iowa, northwest Iowa? Because at that point, uh, it was fence row to fence row farming. Yeah. And we were just about ready to give up in pheasants to try to do some habitat work there because it just wasn't enough. 1985 Farm Bill comes along, CRP, WRP, Wetland Reserve Program, and these complexes formed mm -hmm. that we were talking about. And it's our best pheasant hunting that we've got in Iowa right now because that's where you can maximize North pheasants. Central. North Central okay. and Northwest. Northwest. Both those yeah. two have been the, the, the key holds for the last 10 years here. That's been the best pheasant hunting in Iowa in a place where we were just about ready to give up on them. Mm. So as an optimistic person, <laughs> I will tell you, even when things get really, really bad, and how 1983, when I was just starting on, it was the lowest counts we've ever had in Iowa, things come around you know mm -hmm. there they'll come back find those opportunities to put crp on the ground maximize it with prairie grasses do the sorts of things there you can do and uh when when the door gets opened jump at it when when it's there and um, as i think about the different regions of the state and we started this podcast talking about like cornfield after cornfield and you know kevin costner and the field of dreams walking in right right 
Um, but when you do think about the the topography of Iowa, it is much more diverse than that, right? So you, you have the northwest corner. Historically, or re- more recently, like you said, um, some of the best bird numbers in the state, it's that the lakes region of Iowa, right? And, yep. then you, in, in, and so you have a little bit more of the cattail co- cover, heavier cover. You move to the central, and that's that's more of the grassy area, right? And, and your historic that that's kind of the Iowa people think of because it I thirty five you know cuts that in half, right? Yeah. Then you move over here, and it is the driftless area. It's the blufflands, you know. It's big buck country. Um, your area, you move down to the south um, southeast. Yeah, area. yeah. I mean the. Really, you get uh, around the I-80 corridor and south, um, it, it is just gently rolling hills. Mm-hmm. And hills. A lot of CRP. A lot of CRP. We have a lot of, those are, we, we always have more CRP south of 80. And um, yeah, just up and down, up and down, just beautiful country. Um, and uh, yeah, on our west coast of the state, we got the less hills. Um, right. But, uh, and and you, you say that less hills, and that's spelled L-O-E-S-S, yes, right? Yes, sir. And yeah. Um, uh, that's not anything what people envision out of Iowa. No. Right? I mean, that's... It's beautiful. No doubt it's beautiful, but when you're driving through it, you're like, where am I? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, it's it's just a it's just a different world, I mean, and I don't think people probably recognize. If you just stay on I-35 in the north half of the state, mm-hmm. and when you're traveling down 80, if you're looking one direction, not the other, you probably don't. Uh, recognize the difference in topography and mm-hmm. yeah and you get down in the southeast corner uh the villages of van buren county down by kiyosaka oh, and yeah. that's just a whole different world and um it's just it's a sportsman's paradise hmm. and so yeah i just i'm obviously very proud of this state and uh yeah there's we produce a lot of corn a lot of beans a lot of hogs but man we have some beautiful parts tell me about quail in iowa Shh. so this has come Uh, up i think in at least three podcasts maybe more that uh the the head upland biologist for the state of iowa todd bogenschutz said in the forecast for the year if you've ever thought about hunting (laughs) quail in iowa in your lifetime this year 2018 is the year to hunt quail in iowa and I think the counts are the highest since 1985. Last, yeah. last year was peaked, and then this year is even better. Yeah, we got two good climbs here. I think we're at 30-year highs, 85 or better. And, yeah, it's uh, we've seen just a great rebound uh, across uh, predominantly southern Iowa. Um, From east to west? Yeah, it's a little bit stronger in the southwest and south-central parts of the state. But You're southeast. just trying to push people away from yeah. your home. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good story about quail in my backyard. Uh, took a, a neighbor farmer out, uh, I guess it was just last week, and um, he hunts uh, hunts birds once or twice a year, is it? And uh, was able to get him walking right to the middle of a covey. Wow. And uh, he's just an old deer hunter. He shoots with one eye closed, and but he was able to drop a bird out of that covey. Was it the one he was shooting at? I didn't ask. <laughs> I didn't ask. He gave out a whoop like it was a, <laughs> yeah. a Boone and Crockett we'll buck. It was. But anyway, uh, you know, he, he picked it up, and uh, he, he commented that's the first bird that he's shot since he was a boy. Wow. Really? And, uh, you know, granted, he's not an avid upland bird hunter, but uh, just for that to happen uh, for him – 
uh, out my back door was yeah. just a really special thing. But just in general, our quail numbers have really taken off. And um, our pheasant season closes January 10th, but we got another three weeks. We always go to the end of January hmm. um, to chase. Why is that? Any idea? I don't know. Go ahead, Terry. Well, it's there's there's no biological reason not to. Uh-huh. You know, there that there's uh, when their numbers are high. You know, you can hunt them and stuff there. Yeah, so I'm, no yeah, yeah, I'm not criticizing. I love the concept. You know, <laughs> for sure. Let's go down to Iowa. It's an easy trip from Minnesota. Yeah, and it gets to be tradition too. Those yeah. dates have been, have been there for a long time. So another curious question: Why eight o'clock start? Any just tradition? Tradition. You bet. Yeah. It's probably like the. Uh, the conspiracy theory between behind the uh, the noon start in South Dakota. Right. <laughs> I don't think anyone really knows. We also we close at four thirty. Doesn't matter what time of the year. So we're not a sunrise sunset mm. that state. That's so, a good point. So the golden hour doesn't exist for uh, pre daylight or during the daylight savings times part. Well, you you probably don't even because your season starts the first or the last Saturday in October. Yep. So you get one day of. Day, pre-daylight savings hunting that's actually a week yeah a day now. Week. yeah it okay. goes into november now so okay so yeah, yeah we, when you guys talk about your golden hours you know yeah. early, early on it's like yeah it's not really for a while. <laughs> it is it is interesting when you think about you know uh, iowa eight o'clock start minnesota nine o'clock start south dakota noon start for the first week then to 10 o'clock yep. you know and then you have nebraska kansas north dakota at sunrise yep right like you know there's no it's just tradition right yeah. there's no there's no biological reasons like well they got to milk the cows so that's yeah, where we're go. gonna start after that it's <laughs> interesting too you know i just as the pr guy i get a lot of people calling in giving reports mm-hmm. you know helping people try to find places places to hunt because that's part of our job too is to help people find success um so they continue to continue to get out and continue to purchase licenses and fund conservation that's what it's all about but you know, over I was over in uh, Denison last week as we talked about earlier. Great, great fat, the best pheasant hunt I've ever had in Iowa. It was phenomenal. A lot of CRP has gone in, but it seems like quail now. And we talk about the I eighty corridor and south, and especially those bottom two, three tiers of counties in Iowa. I've had reports and I've seen pictures of people shooting them this year, almost all the way up to Highway twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so, Fort Dodge, right? Uh, yeah, Fort Fort Dodge, kind of right across, right across the middle of the state. So, um, you know, to to say just like a comeback, I think that might be almost understated a little bit. They've quail have really rebounded in in the state of Iowa, and there's a lot of happy people out there right now. I mean, I've got uh, I've got buddies in my old chapter um, down uh, straight south of Des Moines, you know, shooting. It, one of them shot a limit of quail last week and a limit of pheasants in two hours. I mean, that's just, wow. that's, that's what people I think remember. You talk about those glory days and whether we're there yet or not, we can debate that, but we're heading in that direction. And I think if you get a little, little bit more, uh, an easy winter this year and another easy spring, cause the springtime around here really wasn't that easy this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just think about what can be done with the habitat that's on the land. Can you find quail in the less hills? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's yep. where I cut my teeth on quail. It was right? over in Western Iowa where I originally from and stuff there in the Missouri river bottoms and, um, and the, and in the less hills. And it is, if somebody's going to Iowa to quail hunt, is that where you point them? Southern Iowa. Just anywhere Southern Iowa. Uh, first two, three counties and stuff there is probably the Destination. Pri- prime type of and stuff. What about public land in those counties? Are there opportunity for them to find places to go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we some of our largest concentrations of IHAP are 
right south central bottom two tiers. Um, we got a huge complex down there that were enrolled very early on in the program. And so, yeah, just a, a mosaic of public land opportunity and, and yeah, uh, build a relationship and knock on a door because mm -hmm. it's there. And, you know, Terry and I have been talking, um, you know, a little bit before, uh, we do have birds in this state mm -hmm. and, uh, I've, I've been out, uh, you know, five times and been extremely impressed, got friends all over the state have been sharing their success stories like Jared experienced last week. What we don't have is hunters. Yeah, that's exactly where I was heading, you know, start with your season's been going now for three weeks. Yeah. And, and everything I see on social media is there are a lot of birds here. People are, are finding a lot of success, both pheasants and quail. Yeah, no, it, it's been uh, just incredible reports, and um, but we're just not seeing enough blaze orange out there, and that's going to impact our harvest totals. Because back in the day, let's say 20 years ago, Iowa was regularly harvesting million roosters a year, and there was like 100,000 hunters. Yep. And now... I think you guys are only you're hovering around half of that, right? 50,000 hunters, thereabouts, 60,000 hunters. Yeah, and, and the it, combination of, of weather that happened mm -hmm. and loss of CRP and habitat was just was the, the perfect storm for, mm -hmm. for reduction of harvest and stuff there. And so now when we're getting some CRP back into there and our weather has been more favorable now, mm -hmm. I tell you what, I am an optimistic person, as I told you, but we are on the cusp right now is if we would pop a good winter and a good nesting year, we could explode, mm. you know, again. But, but also it could go the other way around if we had bad winter and really wet year next year. And, and you know, I was, so I'm, I'm curious about chapters, obviously, here. You know, there's a lot of habitat focus, land acquisition focus. The other piece is r3 recruit retain reactivate hunters there is a lot of activity with chapters in iowa holding events to engage new people to pick up a shotgun follow a dog and you know get involved in this yeah and it uh it shows up in a lot of different forms but i know our chapters um almost to every, almost every single one is really concerned about hunting heritage mm -hmm. and um we uh, we address that in a multitude of ways. And um, traditionally, we had youth mentor hunts, and that was a great opportunity to get uh, kids out of doors, maybe uh, kids with limited opportunity or access. Um, some of those activities are now shifted more towards adults that are interested in hunting. Um, specifically, we just had an event uh, just down the road from me last weekend where it was just targeting females that were interested, adult mm -hmm. females interested in hunting. Um, Iowa County. Iowa County, yep. Um, we do have uh, a lot of chapters that are supporting uh, scholastic clay teams and um, trying to get them engaged into not just shooting at the trap range, but also getting a field. And so it manifests its way in a, a lot of different directions. But by and large, we know that we have a hunter recruitment issue in this state. Hmm. And um, I'm just telling you, come to Iowa. <laughs> come to Iowa. <laughs> come for the birds. corn, stay for the pheasants. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk just briefly, mention a, mention a name on our staff that I think more people are going to hear of in the future here is Jamie Cook. And I think you probably know him better than I do, Tom. I haven't spent a ton of time with him yet since he's been on staff. But you talk about a guy um, that is, is, is pushing, pushing the R3 agenda. And it's everything from 
Uh, he's big, been big on the IHAP side of things uh, and the communities for pheasants and farmers there in southwest Iowa where they're signing up that ground, um, trying to get to that 1,500-acre mark. But it all comes together with trying to get or trying to provide more opportunities for people. And you talk about, um, you know, the women's hunt that they just did. I, I think he was he worked on with Rose Danaher and that did. that chapter on that. Um, Northern Polk right in Des Moines. If anybody's interested, if you're if you're new to hunting and want to get out, um, they're working with a local wildlife refuge to actually open up a small portion of that that has a lot of birds in it to provide opportunities um, for new individuals, adults, and kids alike to go out and and try to harvest a bird and if we can get them interested and we sell more licenses it, it all comes back to that conservation web and and, and doing good mm. things in this state so I'm, I'm really proud um of the staff that we've have even though i'm gone now i have <laughs> yeah. a lot of fond memories from iowa and gosh darn it people you guys are doing it the right way down here and, and we've got some really good staffers which is awesome yeah yeah jamie's uh, brought a wealth of talent he talks a little slow he's from kentucky and so we're trying to get used to that <laughs> But uh, no, just a just a wonderful uh, man, uh, and half of his job duties is just focusing solely on R three efforts. Mm. And he's working very closely with uh, the Department of Natural Resources. They've been a tremendous partner on this. And um, yeah, the Iowa, and it's thanks to the department, really is one of the trailblazers in this R three initiative. Um, they're doing some incredible things, um, but we just got a long road to hoe here. Yeah. Yeah, you can see it here as as one of the states of many that the the bird hunting the bird um, hunter numbers have declined, and you know based on the the model that so many of our states have for funding, those license da- sales are critical to what's going to create habitat long term. Um, there was a program uh, adopted WMA. How, how's that ha- going in, in the state of Iowa? Yeah, enhance the wildlife area. Yeah, it's another great partnership, uh, both with the Department of Natural Resources, but also county conservation boards. And so we, we do such a great job of creating these public mm-hmm. lands in the state. Um, and what we're doing now with chapters, working directly with these agency partners, is to make sure that we're managing them. Uh, we're, we got a hold of them for perpetuity. And it's going to take management, and that's another great use of chapter fundraising dollars to go back into those permanently protected areas and make sure it's the type of habitat that we enjoyed this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as latest numbers, I, I haven't sat in that seat for a little while. That's not on my spreadsheets anymore. <laughs> no, that's all right. But uh, we can ask Jamie. But, no, it's, it's still a major driver of many of our chapters. So I'm pulling out my wallet here real quickly. So for folks that are not from Iowa, <laughs> they haven't hunted it as a non-resident in a while, um, non-resident hunting license and habitat stamp, $123. Um, and that buys you the entirety of the season. It does. It's not a, it's not a couple of day period. That is the entirety of the Iowa season. And if memory serves, if you buy a license, um, in, in that window of j- after January, right? So you can hunt the final 10 days of the pheasant season and final three, four weeks of the quail season. That license is good next year as well. I, am I remembering, remember, remembering that correctly or is that a Kansas rule? Well, if you're buying it in December, um, I believe that might be the case. In January, it's good for the whole year, obviously. Yeah, you know, for year. that. Yeah. You want to hear something embarrassing? Yeah. I've never bought my own hunting license in the state of Iowa. You have a lifetime license? No, we don't offer that opportunity. 
it's been in my stocking from my mother <laughs> every single Christmas. I was glad you did have a license yes. anyway. I, I have <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. That's the other thing too is you know you talk about banquets and hunter recruitment and stuff. One of the one of the coolest things that I've seen at banquets, whether it's here or at my own banquet at home, is a lot of chapters will will, will go out and provide um, to kids to youth youth in the crowd. Um, you know, some type of raffle or something that revolves around a lifetime hunting license. And what better way to engage mm. people than to give them that and allow mm. them to, to start to go to start to go out. And, you know, kids are one aspect of that. We need to continue to retain and, and recruit uh, and get them out there. And shooting sports is a big part of that. But there's that other demographic, too, those 20 and 30-somethings 30, 30 that are able to buy their licenses and, and uh, purchase purchase a weapon, purchase ammunition, things like that. Um, it's another important demographic for us. And I, I was just doing a fantastic job. The, the organization as a whole nationally is doing a fantastic job recruiting those folks, which is cool. And some of us old, old people, they don't even want to admit that we would eligible for a lifetime license. Oh, no, I'll pay, don't pay the other one. I'll just pay the regular fee. We don't, we don't want to admit it yet. All right, a couple, a couple questions that have popped in my head as, as we've just talked here. Um, you mentioned, you guys both, Tom and, and Terry, mentioned the opportunity to uh, knock on the doors in Iowa and, and find some access. So, you know, first thought is if, if you do get um, access granted from a private landowner, it's um, really nice to send a handwritten thank you or, or a gift um, at, after that opportunity is presented to you. Um, give us a, the most unique gift you've ever heard of uh, being given <laughs> to somebody following uh, an opportunity to... Terry, to hunt some private. Terry's raising his hand. Terry immediately. He's got a good one. I, t I hit a I hit a nerve. Yeah, this was interesting because uh, some <laughs> out of staters came to Iowa, and they get got permission. And so the next year they brought some sorghum uh, because you know some they could really use some food plots. You know there you know there. They brought some sorghum, and the lady said, "Well." How do you cook this up? <laughs> oh, she <laughs> thought the bag was something that they could eat or something. And they no, wanted no. her to plant a food. <laughs> they wanted to plant the food plot. That's pretty funny. There. But anyway, <laughs> you're you're absolutely correct as far as um, making sure you take care of that relationship when you have formed that relationship, mm -hmm. and uh, people are very receptive, you know, that way. Um, so that that's always something. Yeah, that's at the very least, right? A handwritten thank you. Um, maybe offer if you do shoot a rooster, a couple of quail offer to clean one up and give it to them. But any gifts that you've heard along the way that, oh. that really strike you as, oh, that was innovative? Yeah, we, uh, I think I've, I've heard about everything. It just always seems like something that's local to where they come right. from. And, you know, I, I know there's a group of uh, Michigan hunters uh, that come down and they always bring, a, you know, a cooler full of perch fillets. Mm -hmm. um, uh, has some folks out in Washington. Um, They'll bring out bushels of apples, yep. you know, and just anything unique that represents where you come from. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it shows your gratitude. Um, being respectful, I think, is, you know, just what Iowans are. That's what we expect. We got a little bit of Iowa niceness once in a while, but <laughs> just general, just, it's just good people. Um, don't come during harvest and knock on the door, you know. Hopefully it happened before or after. Yeah. Um, but uh, be respectful of gates, uh, be respectful of any instructions and livestock, but uh, don't be afraid to ask because we're really nice people. And one other thing I've found is that Pheasants Forever, as a member of Pheasants Forever, is, has a great reputation. 
mentioning that, that there I'm a Pheasants Forever member, you know, is not something that, ooh, that would turn somebody off. It would actually uh, possibly give you permission because you're a member of Pheasants Forever. You've put money into the resources yeah. there, and you're uh, uh, that type of a person there of conservation. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah it and, is a great and, reputation. And just as an example of that, there were... You, I've known you for a grand total of three hours. I've seen you wear two different Pheasants Forever shirts. And honest to goodness, you are on your third Pheasants Forever hat in three hours. Do you change hats every hour? Uh, my wife says I have to get rid of some of my hats. <laughs> That's how it goes. Uh, send you a whole box down when we get back. Uh, I'm a guy of a lot of different types of hats. That's for sure. Uh, all right. What? what Oh gosh, I had another idea. And, um, well, tell tell us a little bit about um, banquets. If folks want to attend Pheasants Forever banquets in Iowa, they are pretty heavily stacked in the springtime in this state, aren't they? Yeah, I would say about sixty percent of our banquets are going to fall in those uh, late winter, uh, early spring months. Uh, March, I mean, you yeah, March is huge. You can't uh, walk down the street without tripping into a banquet come March. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, predominantly that just seems to be a good season. It's post-harvest, pre-planning, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of our chapters kind of gravitate towards that. I believe the Winstreet chapter is always in April. First week in April. First week in April. We, I will say that we did used to do mid-March, and we had a snowstorm coming, and we were trying to decide if we are going to cancel or yeah. not. And so being in the northern northeast corner up here we we moved in in the first week in april so we're a little safer weather-wise without a storm snowstorm um so i figured out what my other two questions were now um any now you guys have hunted all over the country for birds different things any tips you'd offer specific to iowa that uh you know hunt iowa this way because what you might be used to is not going to work I would say maybe not what you've done might not work, but here's some things as a, as a seasoned person there, I've gone through uh, that, you know, I know the habitat, I know biology Mm -hmm. and and I love pheasant hunting with my dog. We were talking earlier about that last hour, you Mm -hmm. know, there is a time when they're back into the roosting type sites back out of maybe cornfields or feeding and, and they're in there. And also that, 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 um, that edge of grass to crop, mm-hmm. you know, there, whether it's morning or, or afternoon or whenever, that uh, diversity on those edges are way better than a whole sea of grass and you're out in the middle of that. Yeah, Find those edges and everything there for, for finding birds. Yeah, I was just going to echo that uh, edge of field. And uh, I, every year I, I shoot a handful of roosters where um, typically I run my Britneys and they'll, they'll do a big cast out into that uh, harvested cornfield. And uh, it's amazing. You can get birds to set in corn stubble. And uh, every year I'll, I'll pick off about a half dozen midday out there loafing. And, um, yeah, don't be afraid to walk those edges. Late season waterfall production areas mm. in the state of Iowa. There's still a large population out there that does not like to shoot steel. Um, and I don't care if it's Iowa, Minnesota, the Dakotas. Um, you know, shooting, shooting, shooting steel. There's a lot of great loads out there now, but there's just a lot of people that won't hunt waterfall production areas simply because of that. So, mm. um, in the state of Iowa, there are some excellent ones. We talked about the North central is, uh, let me pick your brain for a sec. Is Cardinal, Cardinal Marsh 
Is that a waterfall production area? No, it's a wildlife management wildlife area. Wildlife management, yep. okay. Yep. Um, but that's, you know, Cardinal Marsh is another one up here in the northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it's still in Winship County yes. or not. right on the edge. Yep, but it's – I shot a lot of roosters there in the past. But anything with, you know, anything with cattails that's uh, a, a WPA – um, a lot of people don't like to, to tackle those, and they can they can be loaded up with birds late season. And kind of something associated with that, we have a lot of wa- waterfowl refuge areas mm-hmm. that do open up after the last day of the duck season yep. Yep. Uh, for pheasant hunting, you know, after that. And those are also other honey holes. Yep, yep. So as we wind down, I, I want to make sure to mention a thank you. As a chapter volunteer of three decades, you know, the three of us collect a paycheck for working for this organization and for you terry and all the listeners out there that are volunteers that's not uh, lost on us Um, thank you for being a volunteer thanks to all the members out there that uh, you know pay their annual dues go to a banquet um, be a part of this organization if you're listening and you know you care about iowa or wherever your home state is and the habitat and water quality and bird numbers and, and new generation of hunters i will appeal to you right now to please join pheasants forever or quail forever whichever is your favorite bird we don't care what your logo is on your badge you're, and frankly if if you're a duck hunter get involved with ducks unlimited delta waterfall just get involved because these resources are too important um, but you can do so at pheasantsforever.org quailforever.org or at um, any of, um, of the banquets around the country. It sounds like March is the time to go in Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my question for you, Terry, is if um, what would you say out there to folks that are listening and considering volunteering? Get them over the hump for us. Yeah, I've, I've heard this said before is that when people, um, the reason why people don't volunteer is they haven't been asked. Mm-hmm. So you're putting that ask out there, you yeah. know, there to the public. And the thing that we'd follow up is saying, you can put in as much time as you want. So it's not like you com- made some commitment like, oh, man, I'm over my head. We have we have a lot of board members, but we have a core of serious ones. And then we have some that just help out just at the banquet or come once in a while. We'll take them any time yeah. to cover something that makes us better in that in that county chapter. So maybe it's um, running their bird dog at a youth mentor event, right? Selling a raffle ticket at a golf outing. Or just coming to the banquet to help set up the banquet day, yeah. you know, there. and uh, Or even work the banquet that night. And they may not be a part of the, all the board meetings and not taken away from their time from family or something there, too. So we have lots of different... Uh, avenues for people to be able to volunteer at whatever level they would like to so don't be afraid to uh, feel like you're making some commitment that you regret well thank you again for being a volunteer for three decades sure like i told you before i started when i was 10 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you guys have i mean you've worked with uh our tremendous volunteers around the country you made mention of how how lifelong friendships you've built in the state of iowa as a result of this job anything you'd offer out there to folks that are considering being volunteers tom and jared um you know i would i would just say that it's it's uh it's a it's a passion a love for the outdoors is really what it is and that's one of the reasons why i love my job i get to i get to talk about and write about conservation every day and and i get phone calls from all over the united states from people that are interested in maybe becoming members or maybe if we can help them out and send them to an area where they can be successful but what at the end of the day 
it comes back to being passionate about our mission for wildlife habitat conservation. And I think um, that's, that's what made us who we are since the beginning. And that's what's going to, that's what's going to take us into the future here. And um, you know, whether it's Iowa or elsewhere, um, you know, populations, we can get more CRP and continue to put uh, good things on the landscape in the form of habitat. Um, I think you're going to continue to see a lot of people supporting our mission uh, at the local level. So I'll just reiterate what Bob said, Terry, on behalf of all of us, um, you are an incredible volunteer. I, I knew you a little bit when I was, uh, when I was in Iowa, a little bit different region, but it's not lost on me, the work uh, that you put in day in and day out um, to, to create our mission on the landscape. So thanks. Thanks much. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, you know, the 12 years uh, in the organization, it's been humbling to serve the volunteers. I mean, they're, they're given their time and their, their treasure quite often. Mm -hmm. And, um, but no, to see these uh, committees that just turn into this community of, um, of caring and uh, they, you know, rallying around uh, central points that concern them or, or things that they love, whether it be hunting heritage or, um, private land habitat, public land access, and, and just seeing uh, how a group of people in a local community can rally and make a difference. And it could be uh, their activities get you 36 more naturally producing trout streams. <laughs> I think it's up to 41. 41. <laughs> or it might give you, uh, you know, an opportunity to, uh, you know, go out to a public wildlife area or and I hop and, uh, <laughs> it's something that a, a chapter has contributed to, but, uh, that's the neat thing about this organization is, is we got a great mission. We got a great model and the volunteers get to decide how to implement that. And, uh, I'm a 12 year banquet chairman. So <laughs> I, f I feel a little bit of the pain that the volunteers go through to put on that event. Secretary here, Secretary. <laughs> a lot of notes. but, uh, no guys like Terry and I can give you, uh, I can give you a hundred other folks that just, They've given us so much that we can't repay them. And I think uh, Terry probably keeps doing it because he knows he's making a difference with the community of people that uh, he enjoys spending time with. So we need volunteers and we need your voice. We need a lot of things. And one thing I'll mention, Bob, <clears throat> as you pulled up today to where we're going to hunt that IHAP area. <laughs> is you know, I get, now I get you guys. <laughs> just <see> about. <laughs> The pheasant on your plate, yeah, you know there that that's the pheasant that's, license yep, plate from Minnesota. Yep, that's conservation money, go, you know, going yeah. to something like that. And when I see a pheasants forever sticker in the back window of a truck, that's awesome. Even, even if it there. is an out of stater from Minnesota, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but when we see those stickers of board members, you know, yeah. there or donors, you know, to the banquets and that sticker around there, like I say, uh, pheasants forever has a tremendous great reputation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in one, one more plug before you wrap it up. No, that's good. Any final thoughts? We can start with you, Jared. If, you, uh, if you're looking for something different, something unique in the form of an outdoor adventure, uh, Decora Luther College, where I went to school, it is near and dear to my heart. And if you're looking for, you know, whether it's just pheasant hunting or maybe a little surf and turf uh, <laughs> or maybe applying for a buck tag ahead of time and doing a little bit of both, whatever the case may be, um, I would just like to – uh, welcome in you to <laughs> Decora, Iowa. It really is. Uh, it, it really is an outdoor outdoorsman and outdoorswoman paradise around here. So 
um, do yourself a favor and, and, and schedule a trip to this unique place. Welcome them. You know, <laughs> you know, they didn't know if they'd welcome me as a, as a immigrant into Decorah, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Norwegian area like it is until I told them I had a grandma named Lena Olson. There you go. <laughs> and there it's go. the truth. And I had a great grandpa, Ole. So <laughs> no. I fit in here perfectly. I ate a lot of Lefsa in my day and I tell them, I don't eat lutefisk, though, because lutefisk is for people who don't know how to catch a walleye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to echo the, you know, the, the listeners, uh, you know, just come visit Iowa. And um, you talk about just the, the welcoming people. Uh, real quick story from yesterday. Uh, our colleague, Ryan Heinegger, mm. uh, who's heading up a lot of our efforts here in the, the north region, um, sitting in the parking lot on the phone, conference call, and uh, big truck pulls in. Clips his side mirror. Hmm. <laughs> Ryan's finished up his conference call, gets out. They shake hands, say hi. The guy has much damage. He's like, nah. Ryan looks at the back of his truck. He looks at the back of his truck. They both have PF Life member stickers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're going to go hunting this weekend. <laughs> really? So <laughs> there you go. Iowa nice. There's repayment. Yeah. For you. There so, you go. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Terry? Uh, just that this is, uh, it's very rewarding just to work with great board members and stuff there and the members in, in the county that have just, it's snowballed because they knew we were doing good things for water quality, for helping their farmer op operations, for cost sharing on the prairie seedings. And uh, it just it just grows, you know, on that. And and people know we're doing good things. And when I say we, Pheasants Forever yeah. uh, National all across the United States are doing good things out there on the land and creating quality of life experiences for people. Uh, remind us when the uh, uh, Winnesheek County Banquet is again. First Saturday in April every year is okay. when we're setting that date there. First Saturday in April. Um, you can find all of our banquets on the calendar at pheasantsforeverevents.org. And uh, the Quail Forever banquets are there as well. Um, and uh, again, March for Iowa, a whole bunch of banquets in Iowa. But we do invite you out to, uh, no matter where you live, there's a, there's a banquet uh, in a chapter uh, close to you, please do get involved. Um, we've had a marvelous time here in the driftless region uh, of Iowa. Can't thank you enough, Terry, uh, both for your three decades of volunteering, but also for hosting us today. Thank Biggest you. thing is thanks for getting me out of the office before I could take a day off today here to do <laughs> this. It's, it's You bet. You bet. That's great. And, and we will uh, once again invite all listeners to the state of Iowa. This is uh, not sponsored by Iowa DNR, not <laughs> sponsored by Iowa Tourism. It's not even sponsored by IHOP, even though they're getting a <laughs> tremendous amount of coverage today. Um, Iowa is just, uh, it personally, it's the place that I learned to uh, pheasant hunt as well. I <clears throat> excuse me, I, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan as a grouse hunter and had a couple of close childhood friends that moved to the Mason City area. So I would, when I was working in professional baseball, I would come down to Mason City, hang with my with my buddies, and we learned to pheasant hunt together. A couple of youpers, three youpers <laughs> in northern Iowa, and I will echo these guys' sentiments that uh, just wonderful people here in the state of Iowa, and private landowners will open up their doors, but you don't even need to do that. Uh, there are some tremendous opportunities on public land, whether it's um, wildlife management areas, waterfall production areas, or 
IHOP. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's say it correctly. IHOP. Um, anyways, uh, please consider Iowa and uh, get involved in this tremendous state. Uh, there's a lot going on here for pheasants. And uh, if you are a quail hunter, you heard it here for the fifth time. Come to Iowa. It's the best year in decades to hunt quail in Iowa. You've been listening to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. This has been your State of Pheasants in Iowa episode. Thanks to Terry Hanfield, I'm sorry, Hainfield, uh, Tom Fuller, and uh, Jared Wicklin. I'm Bob St. Pierre, and uh, well, we'll see you in Iowa. Catch you later. <laughs>